take a copy of God's Word tonight. We're going to turn open to the book of James. If you're using a pew Bible there, it's on page 1012. And this morning we begin James chapter 3. About almost halfway through this book. James chapter 3 tonight, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 12. And let's go ahead and pray before we hear the word read this evening. Father, even as we have sung in prayer, so we say in prayer, speak to us. Speak to us who often are too busy speaking and too seldom listening. Thunder in our minds and our hearts the truth of your word this evening. Teach us what it is that you desire from us, for we would be holy vessels, good stewards, faithful disciples, obedient children of yours. And to be such, we need your work in our lives. Pour out your grace upon us by your word tonight. Teach us as we each have need. Give us ears to hear. Give us minds to understand. Give us hearts willing to obey. For your praise and glory. In Christ's name, amen. James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. This is the holy, inerrant, sufficient word of God. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. A world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. 
With it we bless our Lord and Father. And with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Well, the grass withers and the flower fades. The Word of God is forever. Speak to God. Amen. <clears throat> Three points this evening. The first is that we have a warning. We have a warning. James has already given a warning to us in this book about the tongue. He has done so in chapter 1, verse 19, and he did so again in verse 26 of chapter 1. But now he's going to press this, especially for teachers. And the warning is this, not many of you should seek to become teachers, my brothers. Why not? It's the right question in response to, to such a warning. And he tells us, why not? He says, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Judged by whom? By God. Why this warning in this letter? I'm not sure. Were there those he was ministering to that were approaching the function or the act of teaching in a lackluster way or in a very passive way or a nonchalant way? Maybe. Were there those that were standing up and teaching publicly but then sowing all kinds of gossip and all kinds of slander privately among people, and so their lives weren't matching their teaching, possibly. Were there some who were chomping at the bit to teach? Possibly. We don't know. But the warning on the whole is applicable to many who desire to teach for the wrong reasons. Much I like I spoke about regarding the office of elder last week about both teaching elders and ruling elders, there can be a desire to be up front. There can be a desire to be in charge. There can be a desire to be recognized. Power and prestige are wrong motivations in the church. They work in the world, but not in the church. And James is warning, do you not know that those who teach are judged with greater strictness than any other? Now, why would that be the case? Why would they be judged with greater strictness? Why would the elders of your church, teaching elders, ruling elders, be judged with greater strictness? Because one who is teaching is shaping others. It's a great privilege to teach in the church. One of the greatest privileges, I think, in this life. It is also one of the greatest responsibilities. With great privilege comes great responsibility. 
And with great responsibility comes great accountability, James is saying. You'll be judged harsher. James' admonition is that such a teacher of the Word is to be a man who is able to bridle his tongue. And it's evidenced by him being able to bridle his whole body. That is, his living is to match his teaching. There's so many stumbling blocks to people receiving the Word of God. We're fighting against sin. We're fighting against discouragement. We're we're fighting against disruption. We're fighting against cultural pressures coming to bear, spiritual forces, entertainment. A teacher of the Word is not to add their own failings to the mix. But there's yet another stumbling block before people. The greatest challenge of the age is before us to get people to believe the truth of this Word as much as we are able. To teach this truth, to preach this truth, to see them turn from their sins, these sins that they have treasured and they have cultivated, to repent. To pick up their cross and to follow after Christ, to die to themselves. It is the great challenge of the age. The great challenge of every age. What James is saying is you can't add yet another stumbling block in front of that. We preach this message. We teach this truth. We pray for souls to this end. But if our lives contradict our lips, ears close, hearts harden, and backs turn, others will not follow teaching from lives that deny its truth and power. That's what James is saying. That the mouth that is bridled shows a life that is bridled. And that's how it's supposed to look. Second, the observation. The observation, verse 2. In fact, he has multiple observations about the same thing. James is not shying of using illustration after illustration to press home the, the same points here. He talks about the bit and the horse. He talks about the ship and the rudder, a forest and a spark, a spring and a salt water, a fig tree and olives, a grapevine and figs. And from these, all of these illustrations, he's really trying to press home two main observations to his readers, to us. The first is this, that small things can have incredible influence over larger things. Put a bit in a horse's mouth and you can lead it wherever you desire. It's an amazing thing to think about. Here is this huge animal. An animal that a grown man can ride upon and travel upon for hundreds of miles. And he can control this thing that weighs much more than he does, is much bigger than he is, much faster than he can. He can control it just with a tiny little thing that he puts in its mouth. A thing that weighs an ounce compared to the thousand pounds of the horse. Or a ship. He says, we'll go wherever strong winds blow it. How strong is the wind? It can take seed and it can scatter it thousands of miles away. It can erode hard surfaces. It can blow down a house. It can even destroy entire segments of a city. And so when a ship is before the wind, it is driven by that wind. 
except that there's a rudder. And then the rudder directs the ship. Small things that have a great impact. So James says in verse 5, so also a tongue is a small member and yet it boasts of great things. The power of the tongue, it can't be over-exaggerated. so small and yet it can do so much. It outpaces its size in every way. A few words spoken by the tongue can cause two completely different people who have never met each other before to fall in love for the rest of their lives. Tongue, a few words spoken can cause men in battle to charge a hill that seems impossible to to take. It can cause an army to march. It can cause peace to come to bear. It can stop a child from crying. Just a few words. Words have power. The tongue is powerful beyond its size and weight. Solomon understood this, and that's why he fills the book of Proverbs with all kinds of sayings about the power of the tongue and the power of speech and the words that we use. Jesus understood this as He spoke about it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but what comes out of a man that defiles him. Words have power. James understands this. Paul understood it as he talked about over and over speaking the truth in love. One of the most fearful passages in the Bible, or one we should think about, I think often, is what Jesus says in Matthew 12 along these lines. I want you to hear it with this first in mind. You know that the average person, it's estimated, speaks anywhere from 10 to 20,000 words a day. You speak 10 to 20,000 words a day. I feel like my children speak 30,000 words a day. But some of you speak 10 to 20,000 words a day. And Jesus said in Matthew 12, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. By your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Pastor Kevin spoke about last week from James, so I believe it's true there in Matthew, know it to be true there in Matthew, that Jesus does not mean justification in that sense that we use it theologically, that we're declared righteous before the throne of God. It's not that our words make us justified before God, but rather it's that the words that I've spoken over the course of my life, they give testimony to what is true of my heart. They stand as a record before the throne of God. Is there really heart change in this man named Jason? You can tell by how he speaks. Yours and my words have eternal importance. How small the tongue is, but how great a power it wields. The second thing James observes is the great destruction the tongue can cause. Again, so small, but it can devastate so much. 
James is not shy about the terms that he uses for the tongue in verses 6 and 7. In verse 6, he calls it a fire, something that stains, he says, the whole body, and something set on fire by hell. Why? Because sinful speech has its origins in hell from Satan. It's from the devil, the sower of lies. And he says when the tongue sows evil, it it spreads through the entire person like a disease, like gangrene. You and I might not be able to see it, but God can see it. A stain that spreads and spreads, small but destructive. In verse 7, he calls it a restless evil and full of deadly poison. How devastating are words that we might speak like I despise you or I don't like anything about you or I hate you. A stupid rhyme that we were taught as kids and it's stupid. Sticks and stones may break my bones but words will never hurt me. No, that's stupid. Words hurt. They can devastate is James' point. in this exercise with different groups in the past, I will take the group and I will say, I'll give you five minutes, and on the paper in front of you, I just want you to write the top three encouragements you have ever received from somebody in words. And it will take people five minutes. And then after that, I will say, now I want you to write the top three worst things anybody has said to you in your life. And for most people in the room, it takes all but a minute. It just sticks. And it devastates. James makes it clear in verse 8 that in a fallen world, with our fallen flesh, there is no one who can completely tame the tongue. We all at some point or another weekly, daily, need to ask for forgiveness from God. We need to ask for forgiveness from others because we have said something that we should not have said to others. Husbands and fathers, you especially, be leading the way in your home in this regard, asking for forgiveness for things that should not have been said. James says in verse 2, if we could stop sinning with our mouths, we would be perfect. How often we forget how powerful the tongue is. And maybe that's because it's small. Or maybe that's because we're just not very good at controlling it. Or maybe that's because it just takes too much effort. James is rightfully concerned about it. small but can just can cause destruction like nothing else. Which leads to the third point that he has, and that's the command. Verse 10. The command. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water, Our mouths, James is saying, are not to be mixed vessels. You're not to do both things with these mouths as you are in 
Christ Jesus, offering worship to God with our mouths and then leaving the church and on the way home saying unkind, judgmental, rude, or gossiping things about others. To offer prayers to God in the morning and then to yell at our children. To bless and to curse from the same mouth. To praise and to tear down. To proclaim Christ is true and then to tell lies. Well, often we say something and we follow it up with, I didn't mean that. Well, we can misspeak. There are times that that's the case, but more often than not, we mean exactly that, what we just said. We may be ashamed or regret that it crossed our lips, but it was in our hearts. When our hearts are filled with contempt, we shouldn't be surprised when our lips are filled with contempt. A judgmental heart will speak judgment. An envious heart will speak envy. A hateful heart will speak hate. A self-justifying heart will speak self-justifying words. A proud heart will pour forth pride. For the Christian, as James says, this, is, this ought not to be so. Our mouths are to be filled with life because our hearts are filled with life. Our mouths are to be filled with grace because our hearts have been filled with grace. Our mouths are to be filled with Christ because our heart is filled with Christ. Do we seek to control our tongue? I think we have to say today, it's not just what you say what you write in an email, what you put on social media, it's what you text. Do we seek to safeguard what we say? I want to give you a number of sins because that is James's focus here in James 3, a number of sins that I want you and I to think through as we seek to guard our tongues, to control them. Borrowing these categories from Jeff Robinson, who wrote a helpful little book on the tongue. Most of these come from him. But first, do we avoid gossip? We're under the ruse of having concern about a friend or the church or about family members or about co-workers or a brother or sister in Christ. Do we spread bad information or bad news about someone? Gossip. It ought not to be. Do we slander? Do we intentionally share damaging information about other people, whether true or untrue? Both slander and gossip, they feed upon being in the inner circle of of knowing things that others don't know. And they feed upon self-love and they feed upon self-promotion always at someone else's expense. It ought not to be. Do we indulge critical talk, playing the critic of others? This is epidemic in our day. James is clear in verse 9 and 10. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the image of God. It ought not to be. As our talk marked with sarcasm, 
Not the kind of light joking that can at times be nice to lighten the mood, but sarcasm that is words uttered at the expense of other people. It ought not to be. When I was in college, I became a Christian, and remember that first year as a Christian, I, it hit me one day, we were sitting around with all of the men in the campus fellowship that I was part of, and we were just ribbing on each other and uh, making jokes about each other, using sarcasm. This is often a problem with men. Men just don't know how to relate to each other, and so it's often sarcasm that comes into play. I remember a few of us discussing this and deciding that this was not healthy, it wasn't good, and so we decided that we would, re- we would memorize as a group of men in this fellowship Proverbs 26.18 together. Like a madman shooting firebrands or deadly arrows is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. And so when sarcasm started to erupt in our fellowship, we would say, madman. It changed everything. What were very shallow relationships. Making jokes about each other at each other's expense. All of a sudden became deeper fellowship and deeper friendships and more substantive conversation. More life-giving Do I boast and flatter? How often are my conversations about me? Building myself up in the eyes of others. Talking often about either what I am or what I have done or what I am going to do. It would be a good exercise to ask those closest to you, your spouse, your friends, how good of a listener am I? When we're in conversation, how often is it I'm talking about myself and how often is it that I'm asking you questions? There are very few good listeners today. There are a lot of good talkers, especially talking about themselves. Boasting. It ought not to be. Or flattery. We seek to build others up so that they have a better view of us. It is one of the worst kinds of self-centeredness because it is rooted in a lie and it's rooted in false love. It ought not to be. Do we lie either by exaggerating or bending or shading or outright telling untruths? Lying is from the pit of hell. It is the very breath of Satan in the garden. It was His way of life and is His way of life in this world. It ought not to be for the Christian. Do we speak angry words? In the heat of the moment, does the heat in our hearts reach our lips? How often this is the sin that most appears and shouldn't. We say a word to our spouse or a friend or a child or a co-worker that should have never been spoken or thought. And some of those words damage for a lifetime. It ought not to be. Do we speak grumbling and complaining words? 
If anger is not that which we most struggle with doing with our speech, surely it is complaining in this day. Of an epidemic of complainers. There's a little story I've heard a few times. Robinson tells it in his book as well. It was a man named John that decided that he was going to enter into a monastery, and as he appeared before the abbot, the abbot reminded John that this was a monastery where everybody took a vow of silence and wanted to make sure John was aware of that. And Brother John said, yes, I'm aware of that and I'm willing to take a vow of silence. And so the abbot led him through taking the vow and he took a vow of silence. After he'd been there for five years, the abbot came to Brother John and he said that he would allow him to speak two words. And so... Brother John selected as his two words to say to the abbot, hard bed. And the abbot said to Brother John, he said, we will do our best to remedy that situation. Five more years go by and the abbot approaches Brother John and after five more years, he says, you are allowed to speak two more words. And Brother John carefully selected his next two words, and he said to the abbot, cold food. And the abbot said, Brother John, we will do our best to remedy that situation as well. Five more years went by, and at that 15-year anniversary, the abbot approached Brother John, and he said, you are allowed to speak two more words. And Brother John said, I quit. And the abbot said to him, that seems wise and good. All you've done is complain since you got here. Uh, it's funny, but there are people that that's all they do is complain. Every glass is half empty. It ought not to be so for the Christian. We have the most to be thankful for. Do we curse or take God's name in vain? It blows my mind. Blows my mind. That Christians under the banner of the freedom of Christ think they have a right to curse. Blows my mind. How horrific. Maybe the worst is the use of the Lord's name in vain. You and I should cringe every time we hear the Lord's name used in vain, let alone it be on our lips. It is a sacred name. Paul says in Ephesians 4, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear you. James is focused on the sin in our mouths, but here's the reverse, right? Not just that you and I are to mortify the flesh, not just that we are to kill all of the casual words or the inappropriate words or the false words that would occupy our mouths, but that we are to be marked by 
life-giving gospel speech. Paul says, only such as is good for building up. Only such as is good for building up. That it may give grace to those who hear you. Those who delight in Christ much love to speak about Christ much. Those who know grace speak grace. Those who think upon the kindness of God speak kindness to others in the name of God. Those who give praise to God point others to God. What has gripped our hearts is to manifest itself on our tongues. Oh, how so much good can be done with our tongues. So much good can be done with our tongues. Don't be that person that people are reluctant to open their email or cringe every time they see their name pop up in their text thread or don't want to receive their phone calls or listen to their voice messages because every time or most of the time it is a complaint or it is a criticism or it is some gossip. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear you. We need less Job's friends, less Nebuchadnezzar's, less Shimei's, and more Philemon's, and more Barnabas's in the church, more truth speakers like Paul. We're different. You and I are different from the world. That's what James is telling us. As Christians, you are different from the world. And one of the ways that you show that difference more than anything else is that you have control over your speech. Because you see, here's the reality. Though you and I will never, ever completely master our tongues in this life, you and I have been set free so that it's a possibility, a real reality, that by the grace and the freedom that we have in Christ, that you and I can sound different from the world around us because we've been set free from the passions of our flesh. We've been set free from a heart of stone. And grace reigns over our lives. And so we are able, we are able to control our tongue. Maybe not perfectly all the time, but we're able. It's one of the greatest ways that you and I manifest that we are mature Christians in this world. By controlling our tongue. Christ has set us free to bless others by the life that He lived, by the death that He died. And He has given us tongues to give praise to Him. We'll do that for all of eternity. So James is saying we're to get busy about it even now. Guard that little thing 
that wags in your head. To pray together. Our Father, forgive us for the many sins that we have committed with our tongues even today. Give us that instead of blessing, we curse. Instead of speaking truth, often lies. Instead of speaking words that build up, we tear down. Instead of encouraging, we criticize. Instead of praising, we complain. Forgive us, O Lord, we're not the men and women that we desire to be. We are thankful that in Christ Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, that every sin is atoned for. Even those 10 to 20,000 words that are spoken every day. We are thankful that even though on that last day there shall be a long record of all of the words that we spoke that were wrong, that there shall be blood that is sufficient to cover them over. And yet, we pray it is our great heart's desire that there would be less to cover over on that last day. That we would more reflect the fact that our hearts have been gripped by grace. That we have been formed in love. That we have been given new life. We are set apart from this world. We have given tongues that know what it looks like to sing praise as we have hearts that have been renewed by the Holy Spirit and that it influences all that we say. May we be such a people. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.